Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the Executive Director of the Henry Nouwen Society. Welcome to a new episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Henry Nouwen Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry Nouwen to audiences around the world. Each week we endeavor to bring you a new interview with someone who's been deeply influenced by the writings of Henry Nouwen, or perhaps even a recording of Henry himself. We invite you to share the daily meditations and these podcasts with your friends and family. Through them, we can continue to reach our spiritually hungry world with Henry's writings, his encouragement, and of course, his reminder that each of us is a beloved child of God. If you're enjoying these podcasts, we'd be grateful if you'd take time to give us a good review or a thumbs up. That helps us get the word out that there's something of worth here for others who are looking for spiritual resources. Now let me take a moment to introduce today's guest. Christina Crook is a young woman who's been deeply influenced by the writings of Henry Nouwen. She herself is a poet, a pundit, and I think of her as a modern-day prophet. She writes books, speaks, and podcasts. Her best-known book is Jomo, The Joy of Missing Out. Christina is very savvy in the world of technology, and in this strength, she leads others on a voyage of discovery teaching people how to thrive in our digital age. I wanted to talk with Christina as we entered this new year because she can challenge us how to reshape our technological landscape and actually consider a technological Sabbath. I love the title of this book, The Joy of Missing Out, Finding Balance in a Wired World. Is it even possible, Christina? (laughs) That is the question. To be honest, I actually railed against the word balance in my subtitle because I think it is a pretty complicated word. It kind of has become a cliche, you know, to find balance in all things. But ultimately, yes, I do think that we can, but it requires a lot of intentionality and discipline to find balance with our ongoing relationship with technology. One of the things I love about your book is I love your honesty. (laughs) I mean, you share your own personal struggles. How did you set about to get control of your busy, wired world? Mm -hmm. Well, I did take a substantial break from the internet. I took an entire 31-day period offline to really discover what kind of person and parent and creative, you know, as a writer, I would become without the demands, you know, the everyday demands of the internet. So that's sort of where it began for me. But I did study, you know, mass communication in university. And so I was you know, early on in my studies and in my career, I was keyed into the impacts that technology has on our individual lives, but also, you know, culturally. So I have had a pretty deep awareness about how those things intersect. And then when I came back off online after my offline experiment, um, I was extremely intentional about the ways in which I brought technology back. And maybe we can talk a little bit more Um, about that throughout our conversation but it was you know it's sort of like a water fast you know you don't want to like gorge yourself on a huge meal (laughs) you know the day after a 31 day water fast you want to bring it back you know bit by bit and so early on a very practical thing I did was unsubscribe from a huge amount of you know email subscriptions that I had accumulated for years and years because when I went back to the email inbox it was sort of like whoa like this is this is too much I need to clear this away and and those are some of the practices 
practices that I brought forward with me. There was a, a, a question that I found. Oh, I mean, your book, one of the things I really enjoyed about it were the good questions that it was asking. It was helping me ask, to be honest. But you write, technology's not going away. The genie's out of the bottle. But the big question we need to be asking ourselves is, is it going to manage us or are we going to manage it? Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned that, you know, you made some choices then, but I can imagine it's very easy to have slippage to to find yourself back in a place where it's kind of ruling you. How are you dealing with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the New York Times has said that how we live with technology is sort of the cultural question of the next 50 years. Technology is advancing at such an intense rate. Um, so, yeah, how do I keep uh, technology as my servant (laughs) and not as my master. It is um, one very practical thing, which I think would resonate with your listeners, is having a technology Sabbath, you know, one day a week that is largely, if not entirely, technology free and spending that time in different ways. Um, It's really, I really I'm more focused on what we put into those spaces and what the removal of technology. So say you take a day off from the internet. It's not shame, shame, I shouldn't be on tech. It's it's what am I going to put into this container? So are there spiritual practices? Are there connection to, is there a connection to nature that you want to, you know, foster in your life? Are there personal human connections that you want to deepen and really shifting gears for a day a week to sort of take the fo- focus off technology and onto yourself? Um, and one of the other beautiful things things that I think is so tied into the work of Henry is this concept of self-forgetfulness. You know, when we're online, we can control everything. It's an incredibly controlled environment. Um, We're also very focused on ourselves and the ways that we position ourselves and the way we communicate. And when you disconnect from the the internet, you know, whether it's for an hour or a day or a longer stretch of time, there's this element of self-forgetfulness where you kind of re- position yourself or remember um, your state in the world, which is that, you know, when you're not commenting and liking and sharing and doing all those things on the internet, like the world keeps going without you in like a really healthy way. <laughs> like you, the world keeps on turning without Karen or without Christina or without Mike or whoever, whoever you are. And um, yeah, that's definitely been a practice that's helped me and my family um, keep things in a proper focus. I find that I do a little bit of that too. I've made a Sabbath day in which I try to stay clear of the internet, try to stay clear of uh, technology, and uh, and I find it good. People are often annoyed with me because they've been trying to get a hold of me, but I think it's all right to be able to close off some of your life and say, I need to have time where I'm doing other kinds of thinking than the kind of thinking that I do, which tends to be very kind of surface thinking when I'm just interacting with emails and that sort of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I loved your quote from Socrates, beware of the barrenness of a busy life. Isn't that true? Yeah. How quickly we can sort of start operating at a very surface level, I think is what I'm reading into that or hearing in that quote today. Um, You know, it's sort of like not digging down deep enough into the well, you know, keeping things right at the surface level. And um I know that that temptation is extremely real for me. I am a very task-oriented person. (laughs) It takes a lot for me to sort of sit and be still. You know, even with my family in the living room, I'm learning different little tricks and habits for myself of 
I like to be busy with my hands. So whether I'm like sewing or crafting something on the couch that allows me to sort of be still and more present to my family. But yeah, um, that sort of ever present push to produce and consume and produce and consume um, is something we really need to push back on. There's a quote from Flannery O'Connor I love where she writes that you have to push as hard as the age that pushes you. And so I think that the pushback that we need in our culture is the pushback on this sort of consumption, production consumption, hamster wheel that we find ourselves on so often. I uh, I recall there was a movie title on it. This must be, must be 20, 25 years ago, maybe even 30, when I was a television producer. And, and the title was, I'm dancing as fast as I can. <laughs> but in reality, I think that's often the case when you're a creative you can be dancing as fast as you can. It doesn't mean you're dancing beautifully or well or memorably, but you're dancing mm. as fast as you can. That's another way of probably saying that. Yeah. That kind of that ability to be busy without, in a sense, penetrating or going deeper with what you're doing. Um, I know that this has been I got so much out of reading your book, and I, I want to encourage people to go there. And you have a kind of tribe that's following you, Jomo, the joy of missing out, and people that have been fed in a, a fresh way by, by some of the thoughtful ways in which you're sharing and drawing them into a circle, um, which is very releasing of that sense of, you know, just dancing as, as fast as you can uh, with, with the, and, and with the problems of the overload or the over-awareness of what's going on. Um, it's an interesting thing, though. Here we are in the midst of a pandemic. And the fear of missing out is a reality. We're missing <laughs> out in so many ways. And the internet has become our connect for the world. Mm. Tell me a little bit about how you are dealing with that. What's happening for you with that? Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I was going to post, I was going to post a picture um, and typically I would post a, an image of a person sort of looking down on, at a screen, you know, or whatever, facing a screen of some kind as sort of like a caution, a cautionary tale, <laughs> you know, like, you know, be careful. This isn't how you want to spend your entire life. And I remember maybe it was a month or so into the lockdown here in Canada, here in Toronto, uh, where I, I, an image I would have typically used in that cautionary way all of a sudden to me spoke of connection. I, it was a picture of a woman looking at a phone. I was like, whoa, 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 that's connecting. This is like completely reframed the way that I think about the internet. I think that's what's really exciting. I mean, it's both, right? It's like such a both and situation. I think what's really exciting is that people have begun to really view technology as a tool um, yes, we're binging. Yes, we're doing things to sort of numb ourselves out from the crisis and exhaustion of the pandemic. But also people are experiencing digital overwhelm to such an extreme degree that the need for them to engage in other things like baking bread. Remember when baking bread was like everyone was <laughs> baking bread? Like baking bread, going for socially distanced walks, getting in nature. It's like it's it's forced the issue in terms of like enough is enough like I have to yes I have to use this technology to connect with friends yes I have to use it for work like you and I are doing right now we would love to be in the same room having this conversation but we're using it as a tool you know to have this conversation um but it's also pushing people to see the limits 
of tech in a way that I don't think was happening before the pandemic. And that's exciting to me. That's really exciting to me. I I think you're right. It's funny because one of the things... uh, as I read your book, and this goes back to when you had your 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 fast from technology, um, and your discovering of your neighbors and your discovering of community, I actually find that that's been one of the great fruits of this time. Here I am, cut off from my neighbors, and yet I find there's more more warmth in my community than there's ever been. We greet each other on the street. We we are mm-hmm. we smile <laughs> behind our masks. We're learning how to smile with our <laughs> eyes. But you know something? I just I I have some sense of how much we want human touch and we want to to be there for our 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 fellow human beings yeah what are you finding what are the fruits for you out of this time oh yeah such similar things like even just um so I live in you know a a pretty interesting area of Toronto right in Toronto proper um we can be quite proper (laughs) in terms of like the way that we set up our houses and the ways that we put ourselves together to go to the schoolyard and you know be in in the neighborhood and I loved how early on um people were doing really silly things to encourage one another um and at our house my friend had made me this giant tiger um cut out (laughs) because it was my 40th birthday right when the pandemic started it was pretty brutal um and we turned it around and put it in our front yard and I think we said something like keep going you know we're all in this together you know all those we're all in this together messages people were doing things like from Monty Python like ministry of silly walks so like from this point to this (laughs) point in front of our house like you must do a silly walk and there was like multiples of these in our neighborhood neighbors started painting like permanently painting fences like rainbow colors like who even cares anymore like why are Uh we trying to like keep ourselves so prim and proper like let's just let it rip let's just like embrace joy you know and look out for one another and I think um, I've seen that dwindle a little bit but it was such it was such a breath of fresh air and I do see these things you know sort of continuing on and yeah absolutely not to like paint the pandemic I would never want to do that with a completely silver you know silver linings brush but um there have been incredible positive things and it's going to be so interesting as things do eventually open back up to see the ways in which people embrace one another um I think I read the other day someone reflecting on how they can imagine it becoming normal like people dining in a restaurant and people just bursting into tears um you know in the middle of their meal just because of you know the joy of being able to be back together you know again in those public spaces so um yeah yeah, it's it's been it's been pretty beautiful to be honest in our community yeah I uh I particularly enjoyed one chapter in your book we're going to go on and talk about a number of other things but I just thought this was a place where I kind of felt I see a connection with you and Henry and it was actually quitting the comparison game. I just thought, mm. boy, that how much that's a part of elements of our online lives. But ha- tell me a little bit about what you have learned and how you are undoing that as a, a component in your internet mm-hmm. life and in your regular life. <laughs> Well, I just want to quote Henry, if I can, because I've been revisiting a bunch of his work in preparation for this conversation. And, you know, obviously you're so familiar with Nowen's Three Temptations, right? The Three Temptations. And um, I think this dovetails really nicely in this conversation about comparison, because, yeah, we have an unprecedented opportunity to compare ourselves to now literally billions of people on the Internet, whereas 
you know, pre-internet, we could only compare ourselves, you know, to our coworker, to our brother or sister, to our neighbor, people we could actually see. And now we're comparing ourselves to strangers, millions of strangers online. Um, Henry writes, the first temptation is to do something relevant. The second temptation is to do something newsworthy. And the third temptation is to do something powerful. Um, And I think those are real temptations. And I think, you know, we see or we see we think we see people, but really we just see a very tiny piece of what people have chosen to put online, right? Um, that is the ultimate curation. <laughs> We're all curators of what we choose to share. Um, and we are um, comparing ourselves to people's highlight reels, essentially. There are, there are some people who are, who are very, very intentional about sharing, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but it is difficult to do well. Um there are not that many people I know that do it well. And when I when I see someone doing it well, I absolutely latch on to them. There's one artist um, named Lisa Congdon out of Portland, Oregon. And I think she does a beautiful job of sharing her creative process, sharing vulnerabilities. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. But for the rest of us, you know, we kind of put our best foot forward. And um, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying in terms of Henry. I think of his, you know, relationship to the environment at Harvard and wanting to, well, just feeling very, very, um, that the envi- the ambitious and competitive environment there was very fraught and lonely. Um, everyone comparing, you know, whatever, all of the things. And he yearned for something more. And I, I think we all, all do yearn for something more. And so, yeah, that chapter, qu- com- quitting the comparison game was definitely a favorite of mine. You have written a beautiful book, The Joy of Missing Out, and I'm sure there's something new coming. But in the interim, you came to us and suggested the possibility of a book that would focus on uh, Henry, on Henry Nouwen, my year with Henry Nouwen. What an interesting Mm -hmm. opportunity you put before us. And you went at it. And I, I just tell us a little bit about that. So, yeah, I remember you and I had lunch at the University of Toronto and began this conversation about Henry and and my generation and and that intersection. And um, it was such a beautiful opportunity for me to dive back into Henry's work because I hadn't read it in a couple of years and then to dive into all kinds of Henry's writing that I'd never encountered before. And as I started reading, it, it became apparent to me very early on that it was going to take me most of a year um, if I was going to really dive fully into um, the life and work of Henry Nouwen. And so what emerged for me just sort of naturally was this journey, um, really a year-long journey with Henry. And um, yeah, it's interesting the way that the writing, my writing um, began to take shape as I did journey with Henry was it began to be framed in the three movements of the spiritual life that he talks about, um, our relationship to, to ourselves, our relationship to others, and our relationship to God. And so that was sort of the arc um, that eventually it it uh, began to take shape in. What I believe, can you remind me which order Henry has those in? Because I reversed one of them. Is his relationship to others and then God and himself? Do you remember? Well, to, I think it starts with to God. <laughs> 
to himself yes. and then to others is I think the the way yeah. that he puts that it's it's interesting mm-hmm. because I always felt with Henry there was like this plumb line in his being and he would ask all these you know he'd be torn to be successful to be to to yeah. achieve and then he'd come back to this plumb line of Christ being the very center of what he was thinking and where he wanted to say yes where he wanted to serve where he wanted to respond and so you know the 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 swinging pendulum would be the temptations to be to be popular to be known Mm -hmm. to be successful all those kinds and to please others and to be what you've written or what you have achieved and then to go back and say really all I want to be is what Jesus wants me to be which is an amazing Mm -hmm. tension I see it I, I kind of find it as I as I connect with your work, you you are a, a gifted artist. That's one of the things that attracts me to what I, I see, the whole process of artistry being woven throughout the book that I've read now, and I'm sure anything that you do in future will have that. But in the midst of that is the question of uh, what has worth? Where's my center line? What's my plumb line in all of this? Mm. Um, y- you... Uh, you found some rich stuff in Henry. I'm sure it was in some ways transformative for you. I'd love to hear what you feel like you have taken away from that exploration. Yeah, I were, were, the way where I was going with those three movements of the spiritual life was what Henry really helped me reconcile, explore um, th- things that he helped transform in me were really around those three movements and for me it happened a little bit differently where Henry's personal vulnerability his personal struggles and with that his personal passion like right alongside his vulnerabilities like his absolute confidence and passion um, let me begin to make peace with parts of myself that I think I had really rejected and um, so for me the three movements of the spiritual life for me, it really became my relationship to myself came first. Like what is Christina going to be honest with herself about? Like what is actually true? And one of the things that was really true for me that Henry helped me realize was I really want for power. Power is what I want. I really yeah. want power. I really want control. I want to control myself, my environment, the people around me and help me to understand or begin to understand why why I want for that power um which comes out of my own brokenness and family story and and um sin and and all of these different things and that ability to face the really real you know um what was really true in that posture allowed me to begin to journey into God um and Henry did that you know in a myriad of ways I there's so many books um that I read that year um I'm looking at a quote right now from the selfless way of Christ downward mobility in the spiritual life um he writes there is almost nothing more difficult to overcome than our desire for power power always lusts after greater power precisely because it is an illusion despite our experience that power does not give us the security we desire, but instead reveals our own weakness and limitations. We continue to make ourselves believe that more power will eventually fulfill our needs. Um, And he goes on from there, but it was really, and then he concludes this particular quote with, quote, it is through powerlessness that we can enter into solidarity with our fellow human beings. And for me, I needed to come to peace with um, acceptance with my own powerlessness 
um, my own vulnerabilities, which help me to enter in more deeply into my belovedness in Christ, my belovedness, um, period. And then from a place of oneness with God, I then felt like I had the peace and confidence to be vulnerable with others. That was the art. That was the story for me. And I think that remains true for me. That's, that's the hugest thing that Henry helped me (laughs) realize. And I feel like I've been, well, I have been unpacking it for a couple of years now. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, You're a gifted writer. Your, your, uh, your writing is beautifully researched and informed. And what I'd say is there's a prophetic edge to it, which is really very special. And you made an offer to us at the Now in Society. You know, what we always tell people is go to our, go to our website and we'll have all the links to the things we've talked about. Clearly, we'll have a link to joy of, uh, the joy of missing out your book. And we will have a link also, if it's all right with you, you suggested you might share some passages from my year with Henry, mm-hmm. uh, some posts. I think that would be terrific. Maybe over the next few weeks, you might make a few posts and we'll add them to that and, and give people a taste of, here's a young woman who dove into the deep end of the pool and decided she would spend a year reading Henry now. And and mm-hmm. what did she find? And, and what's there for others? Uh, it, it certainly delighted me that you would do that. There's a. It took focus and it took a sense of who. What has Henry got to teach me? Um, it's funny as we enter into this year of 2021. It's um, it actually is the anniversary, 25 years since Henry died. And one of the things that I've been using with more freedom is the phrase that I think he is a spiritual master for our times. I'm finding that so much in terms of the responses we get from people who read our daily meditations. They, the words of Henry have meant so much, particularly at this time. They've been particularly finding that his, his willingness to be vulnerable and open and honest rings true to people who are struggling with uh, a year that has turned upside down for them. Have you found that for you in terms of what has Henry had to offer mm-hmm. you at this point? Yeah, I think one of the things, I think really the heart of what makes Henry so relatable to the contemporary spiritual seeker is that Henry confessed he had that all his life he had these two voices competing inside of him that one encouraged him to succeed and achieve which is definitely something that we hear constantly in our culture while the other called him simply to rest in the comfort that he was the beloved of God and I think it's such a relatable tension Um, and as we go into 2021 to sort of hold those those things in tension. We are called to succeed and achieve, you know, in the things that God has called us to do. And I hope that people listening, that all of us can look at 2021 for the possibility that it holds for in a hopeful lens. Um, I've been talking a lot um, in my own community about imagining a 2021 worth wanting. You know, what do we want for 2021? while also holding in the tension um, that we are called simply to rest in the comfort that we are loved just as we are without the achievements. And um, yeah, I just think Henry, if any of you, anyone's considering diving into Henry, this is this is really the perfect moment. That's neat. That's that's really neat. We have on our website, you know, a list of uh, books to get you started if people are hearing for the first time. 
I'd also love you to share with us what you're up to. You're going in, you're kind of taking your group onward. You've got a project called Navigation. Would you tell us a little bit about this and tell us how people can get involved? Absolutely. So I have been studying the intersection between technology and joy for over 10 years. Um, It took shape uh, into a book. It took shape into a podcast called the JomoCast where I interview mindful tech leaders from around the world who are um, really showing us the way to live in balance with technology. And the new offering that I've created is called Navigate. It is um, a digital well-being membership where you get regular teachings and community support to use technology in a way that aligns with your values and goals. So really putting you in the driver's seat, you being the master of your technology and not the other way around. And so um, I'm extremely excited about it. People can learn about it at christinacrook.com forward slash navigate. We already have members uh, at Tyndale University, at Oxford University, working at Shopify, at Adobe. We've got the most incredible community of creatives, academics, um, makers, educators uh, who want to use technology in a way that aligns with what they want to achieve and, um, yeah, bring to the world. So, um, yeah, and the reason why I created it was because after much searching and researching, you mentioned that I do research a lot. I am am a, a deep researcher. I discovered that there really is not and will never be a one time sort of silver bullet solution to tech overwhelm. Technology is constantly changing and we as human beings are constantly changing. It's a moving target. And so sort of like a one time program or a one time product, like a time management app, while they can help with the problem, ultimately won't solve for the problem. And so that's why I've created an ongoing membership as an ongoing resource to kind of move with, navigate, right, the technology, the technological landscape um, for the long term. You know, we really need you. We really need what you have to offer. I'm so glad you have vision for this and then that, that you take the rest of us along because mm. uh, it's exactly what we're looking for. I love the Douglas Copeland quote. The most important thing we could invent right now would be a technology that takes away our bottomless fear of missing out, our need to read the latest news update. What kind of technology would that be? I think you are somebody (laughs) who is leading us into the future. Therefore, I I really want to say to our listeners to keep an eye on Christina Crook to test out what's there um, with this new opportunity. Um, and obviously, we will post all sorts of things on the on our website so that there are links to anything that we've talked about today. As you look into the future, as you look into this year, where we are, in, based in Toronto, we're just getting the news that we're in lockdown for yet another month. And then mm-hmm. as we head into the year, we don't know quite when the end of this will come and what it will look like. Obviously, we're delighted that there's going to be vaccines and possibilities there is a future beyond this. What for yourself are you seeing and what would you want us to see? It's oh, such a big, big, great question. I think I want us to see that we have the power to shape the future. You know, we are not victims of our circumstances. We have an opportunity to embrace the potential of what 
our situations are offering right now. Um, I think what I love about uh, the community that I've had the privilege of, of leading and cultivating is that it's a group of people that know that in my, you know, in my area of expertise, that the technology we've created is created by us and we have the opportunity to reshape it. And I think I would say to anyone that's, you know, looking at 2021 and having a difficult time seeing it through a hopeful lens is to say, like, what is the one small step that you can take to make 2021 a year worth wanting? Make 2021 in your home, in your creative work, in your spiritual practice, in your neighborhood, um, something that you can stand behind and, and know that you are shaping into something that's made with love. Christine, thank you so much for sharing with us what you have. It's been rich. And uh, I want people to know that you're out there and connect with you. So I do invite all of you to go to our website and there you'll find links for for everything that we've talked about in this podcast. And uh, we'll be keeping an eye on you, Christina. I know that good things are coming. I know God's called you out as a as a prophet, but you're also somebody just so grounded in the realities of everyday life, of family, of, of children, of juggling all the stuff that we all have to juggle to make life work for us. Uh, I do thank you for sharing with us, and I, I'm excited about you as, a, as an artist, as a writer, uh, and as a, a, a really sweet and generous friend to the Henry Nowen Society. Uh, Folks, I just encourage you to read her postings. You're going to enjoy them, and it will take us forward. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I enjoyed talking with Christina, and she's left us with lots to consider. Will you schedule a technological Sabbath? I mean, it's a great idea. Please go to our website where you'll find more resources related to today's podcast. Christina has even shared portions from the book she's writing titled, My Year with Henry Nowen. Once again, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please give us a thumbs up or a good review. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.